Well, hey there, fellow Sojourners, and welcome back to another edition of Appropriating the Culture. On today's episode, we tackle another theological argument against Santa Claus by examining this video. Now, to do away with any suspense, I'm not a fan of Santa. I've never cared much for him ever since I learned that he was not real. As an adult, I cared for him even less, and even began to have a bit of animosity toward the jolly old elf. However, it was not until about 2010 that I, through circumstances in my life, was actually forced to sit down and think through exactly who Santa is and wrestle with the biblical implications. And I am not in this piece going to use soph sophomoric arguments like, well, you know, if you rearrange the letters of Santa, you get Satan. And while that might technically be true, I suppose, uh, that I'm not going to result to such childish arguments for my thesis here. Spoiler, the arguments are still sophomoric. I'm Pastor Shane. I'll be a who singing in Whoville today as we appropriate some culture. So recently I watched a 45-minute diatribe on Santa, most of which was completely irrelevant, but here's the central argument of the piece. Well, dear ones, now we get to the meat of the matter. Let's look at the characteristics and attributes of Santa. This is where I must ask you as much as possible to put aside personal preferences, majority opinion, tradition, and preconceived notions in general dealing with Santa Claus. Here's where I ask that you consider the following information from a purely biblical point of view. Here we will examine who Santa is and who God is. We will look at his characteristics and attributes and compare them to God's characteristics and attributes. And until 2010, I had never given this much thought at all. In fact, uh, I was in much more need of listening to a program like this or reading some solid material on this and not producing it myself. So I invite you now to join me as we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and consider if there is biblical warrant for us to give Santa pause. The first characteristic and attribute, Santa is eternal. Santa is often portrayed as having a wife, but never a mother or father. He seems to have no real beginning and certainly no end. He's just always been around and always will be. Eternality, as with all of God's incommunicable attributes, is uniquely his. He is the great I am. He has always been and always will be. Immutability. Closely related to his eternality, Santa is also apparently immutable. In other words, he does not change. Year after year after year, on December 24th, he boards his sleigh and makes his appointed rounds with just as much energy, just as much enthusiasm and strength and vigor as he has in years past. Time seems to stand still for Santa. Unlike all the other created plants and animals, and we humans who grow old and undergo decay, Santa appears immune from the passage of time and the curse of the fall. He never gets sick, never tires, and he never seems to age. He never changes. This is one of the incommunicable attributes of God. Santa is also omnipresent, another one of God's incommunicable attributes. Santa is, in effect, everywhere at the same time. True, he does go from one house to another consecutively, but he visits every child's house in the world all in one night. In my research, I came across a rather humorous engineering analysis of Santa's feet of flying, and assuming that Santa does not visit Buddhist, Hindu, or Islamic children, etc., he still manages to visit some 91.8 million homes just in one night. And just to be generous, this author allowed Santa a full 24 hours, with an additional six hours provided by different time zones with the assumption of east-to-west travel. According to this author, Santa must visit 822.6 homes per second. And so, for all intents and purposes, we can say that he is indeed omnipresent. Humor aside, omnipresence is one of God's incommunicable attributes. He is limited neither by space nor time and is everywhere present in his fullness. Santa is also, like God, omniscient, and this is undoubtedly one of Santa's creepier attributes. He seemingly knows everything. Consider the words of John Coots in Haven Gillespie's 1934 song entitled, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. He knows if you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good, for goodness sake. From his home at the North Pole, Santa possesses the ability to know when each and every child and presumably adult on earth is sleeping and awake. Compare Santa's power with that of God. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Eerily similar, is it not? Santa knows our behavior and is apparently qualified to make judgments as to its meritorious value. He sees all and knows all. Omniscience is one of God's incommunicable, unique attributes. Santa is also good. Santa is portrayed as kind, gentle, jovial, and good via his authority to determine which children have been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake. Good is a word that we often use to describe everything from people to some desired outcome or to some delicious food like fried chicken. Uh, some will undoubtedly think I'm stretching a bit here, but describing Santa as good is problematic when coupled with all of the other divine attributes ascribed to him. 
God's standard of goodness is moral perfection and complete obedience as measured by his moral law, the Ten Commandments. And dear friends, none of us measures up to that standard. We have all sinned, and all of us have hearts that are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The Apostle Paul knew that nothing good dwells in us, and that there are none good, no, not one, except Santa. Santa is good by his nature. This, too, is in direct opposition to the plain teaching of Scripture. In a statement affirming his own deity, Jesus told the rich young ruler plainly, No one is good except God alone. God's goodness, his omnibenevolence, is original to him and is not possessed by any of the fallen created order. Santa's goodness separates him from every other created thing and puts him in the class of God. Santa is also a gift giver. That Santa gives gifts to good children and leaves lumps of coal for the bad is inextricably tied to his goodness. Only one who is intrinsically good by character and nature is truly qualified to make judgments about good and bad behavior and render the appropriate rewards and punishments. Aside from this, though, Santa's activity all year is for him and his elves. And, by the way, ponder that Santa has elves, God has angels, so there's another parallel. But uh, his activity all year is for him and his elves to create toys for worldwide distribution. He's a gift giver and gives with no expectation of anything in return. In this aspect, too, Santa looks just like God. God is the only true gift giver because only he gives with truly pure motives. He gives light. He gives man the fruit of his labor. He gives individual personal abilities. He gives love. He gives spiritual gifts. He gives faith and repentance for the gift of salvation in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. God is not only the ultimate gift giver, but he is also the only true gift giver. For every good thing and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And so, dear ones, the reality is, is that Santa shares many of God's attributes. And this should be extraordinarily sobering to all who profess Christ. Santa diminishes the glory of God by sharing in his glory. Glory is a term that we often hear and use. We often speak of giving glory to God or affirm that he is glorious, but what does that really mean? I fear that the magnanimity of this term all too often eludes us. It will elude us today as well, and it will elude us because it is really not even possible to give an adequate definition of the glory of God. And so to define glory is in some sense to attempt to try to define the indefinable. The glory of God is inextricably connected to the holiness of God. And so this raises the question, what is meant by holiness? Holiness is not one attribute among his many others, but rather is the totality, the summation of all of God's perfect divine attributes. God's holiness denotes the incomparable perfection of his divine nature, and his glory is the manifestation, if you will, or the revelation of his holiness. Glory is, in short, holiness revealed. Jesus Christ is God incarnate and reveals to us the fullness of God's holiness and is the radiance of his glory. He was God in flesh and now is at the right hand of the Father. While incarnate on earth, Jesus was the revelation of God's glory and is revealed to us today in God's inerrant sufficient word. None of God's attributes can be fully and perfectly manifested in any of his created beings. Santa, however, manifests not merely one, but many of God's attributes. We've taken many of God's unique attributes and fashioned them into a figure known as Santa Claus. And though fictitious, by encompassing so many of God's attributes, he is a manifestation of sorts of God's holiness. In other words, he is a man-made reflection of the glory of God. And at this point, many will cry foul. Many will object, saying, oh, come on, who, who thinks of it that way? Who thinks of it that deeply? There's not a kid on earth that would ever think such things. Adults don't even think of Santa like that. That's not what we teach. We don't think Santa is God. And this, dear friends, is just the point. Most of us do not think about Santa this way. However, our ignorance, willful or not, does not change the fact that that is who he is. And please hear me. Please know that I understand that no professing Christian would ever dream of consciously ascribing to Santa the attributes of God. The problem is not so much that we would do this, but that it has already been done. And whether or not we think of Santa as embodying the attributes of God does not change the fact that he does embody those attributes. Yet another one of God's attributes is jealousy. And this may at first seem contradictory. After all, how could an omnipotent God be jealous of anything his lesser? How could God be jealous and still be righteous and good? And though jealousy for us most often carries with it a negative connotation, it can be a good thing. For example, any decent husband upon seeing another man trying to uh, win his wife's affections would become immediately and appropriately jealous. Jealousy, unlike envy, which is always bad, is often good. God's jealousy is always good. So of what, or rather for what, is God jealous? Himself. Okay, so the thesis is Santa shares attributes of God that belong to God alone, and by attributing to someone else attributes that God alone possesses, we are robbing God of his due glory, which we should not do because God is rightly jealous for his glory and he will not yield his glory to another. Now, I absolutely agree that God is rightly jealous for his glory and that God possesses incommunicable attributes, but I think he's mistaken both in premise and application. Let's start with the premise. First of all, there are no concrete attributes of Santa Claus. 
Santa is a tool by which we tell stories and convey truths. So let's look at the attributes one by one as cited. Eternal. God is eternal. Santa is eternal. Is he, though? Because, well, I mean, in the Santa Claus, we first meet Santa as he falls to his death off a roof. So in that story, there are many Santa Clauses through the years. It's simply a mantle that people take on, like the Dread Pirate Roberts. In Fred Claus, Santa has parents. And his brother Fred. Stop trying to have mom call me, because I don't want to talk to mom. I've never done anything like that. Have you ever said, oh, mom's here. Jump on and say hi. She's standing right here. Have you ever done that? Not to my knowledge. Right. And well, I you have. Like, no. Yes, you have. So when you said that Santa is never portrayed as having a mother, you are wrong. But what about immutable? God is immutable. Santa is immutable. Well, if he's demonstrated as being not eternal, then he's not immutable. And there's lots of renditions of Santa changing. In Santa Claus's Coming to Town, Kris Kringle starts off as a baby, grows up, gets old, gets fat and gray. Not exactly immutable. What about omnipresent? This one was just annoying because in absolutely no rendition of Santa Claus is he ever omnipresent. He is never, everywhere, always, all at once. He travels. When he is one place, he is not in another place. Quasi-omnipresent is not omnipresent. You either are or you're not. There is no gray area or middle ground with the omnis, including omniscience. God is omniscient. Santa is omniscient. Now, it does say in the song that he knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good. But how he acquires that knowledge varies wildly in the narratives. And most of the more popular traditions would underscore that he's not omniscient. Santa didn't know that Buddy the Elf slipped into his bag. He didn't realize Rudolph's nose would have a usefulness. And he couldn't even foresee the weather. What's more, we have things like Elf on a Shelf, that Santa spy and snitch. But if Santa must dispatch minions to gather intel, that would be a rather strong indication that Santa doesn't possess all knowledge. So, not omniscient. Next, good. Santa is good. God is good. So now, here's where he really goes off the rails. Yes, God alone is good. We are not good. And God is the standard by which we measure goodness. But good is not an incommunicable attribute. God wants us to be good as God is good. Jesus tells us, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Being good glorifies God. It doesn't rob God of glory. And God's goodness is not incommunicable. Quite the opposite. Next, gift giver. Santa is a gift giver. God is a gift giver. Again, gift giving is not an incommunicable attribute of God. And whether it's Santa or parents giving gifts, that doesn't rob God of his due glory, and it's not idolatry. Jesus says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He's not decrying giving gifts to your children. He's not saying, stop giving gifts. That's a job for God alone. No, instead, he is using the practice of parents, fallen and sinful though they are, to point them to God and convey a truth about God. And Jesus does that all the time. He takes this or that, and he uses it to point people to God. And that's really the bigger issue here. I think the video is overstating the similarities between God and Santa, as Santa doesn't really have concrete attributes. 
But even if we acknowledge certain similarities, it does not follow that all similarities to God detract from God. Idols are bad things. Imitations are not, at least not necessarily. The Apostle Paul says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Do the similarities of Paul to Christ rob God of his glory? No. We are meant to model Christ. We are Christians, little Christ. We are stand-ins. We are models for the world to point people to God. Now, if we, sinful, fallen humans, can be used as a model for God incarnate, well, then why can't Santa? God gives us all kinds of images and pictures and stories to point us to himself and to help us understand him. So it's fine to illustrate something about God with a bronze snake or a lamb or a composite of two or more minerals, but you can't use Santa. Now look, everything can be made into an idol. Things that are meant to point us to God can become the objects of our worship. But not all similarities to God must come at the expense of God. So whether it's Aslan or Santa or just a parent giving a good gift, if it points us to God, it glorifies God. Santa has no concrete attributes, so make of him what you want. All right, that's it for today. As always, if you like what we're doing here, like, subscribe, rate, review, leave a comment, especially if you disagree. Buy my new book, Six Rounds for the Witching Hour. The link is in the show notes. If we sell 100 copies, I have pledged to watch and review 80 for Brady. And judging from initial sales, you don't want that for me. So, thanks? Anyway, join my author's Facebook page, follow me on the major socials, and I'll see you next time for more Appropriate in the Culture. (laughs) 